welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we are discussing Season 4, Episode 6, Call to Action. And David, I believe you have the recap for us. Lena fails to fight cancer with Haranel, but might be able to make some superhumans to level the playing field. Neonal dreams about chocolate-covered espresso beans, blames narcolepsy, but lies about having a doctor. Because Fiona got fridged, Manchester Black starts torturing and killing Children of Liberty members. Lena keeps trying to de-risk James's life, but ends up alienating him. James keeps taking risks and is kidnapped by the Children of Liberty. Ben Lockwood becomes a TV personality after using American Thanksgiving as a cautionary tale. After Thanksgiving dinner, the Children of Liberty's overly complicated alien home invasion plan fails? Supergirl talks down a dragon. Alex and Supergirl get away with not following Colonel Haley's orders, for now, and Brainy is used for comedy relief except for one great operatic fight. <laughs> right, so there were a number of things in this episode that we had been uh, calling out or at least discussing dubiously before that were ex- addressed to some extent in this episode, and so I was pleased to see that. They were either expressed or at least they were made explicit. Mm-hmm. Hard to say if it's a good thing in all cases. Yeah, but, you know, at least it seems like the show is paying attention to itself. Exactly. And this show did a lot better at that. This episode of the show feels more serialized than a lot of the ones we've gotten so far. This feels very much like the next step in the story that's ongoing. And that, I think, flowed very nicely. I'm very happy yes. to no longer have Mercy and Otis around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so apple versus pumpkin pie, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> a nice filler to make it very clear that these are nice people having a nice conversation and don't deserve to be attacked. That's right, right. Um, so uh, also we have the little point that um, dogs usually love Supergirl. I don't remember if we've ever seen a scene with pet dogs or cats with Kara or Supergirl. Well, we know she had a pet cat mm-hmm. because of the flashback episode. I oh, don't right. remember her dealing with dogs, but I expect she has. But I have other questions about how dogs can tell what any arbitrary alien smells like. Um, I think there's some precedent for that. In World War I, uh, uh, soldiers used sentry dogs who could tell the difference between Germans and British because of the different rations that the different uh, nationalities were eating. But could they tell the difference between British and French and all the other nationalities? Like, it just seemed too generic because Mm -hmm. it's not just a alien species that's on Earth, but a huge variety of different aliens that are on Earth that, in theory, would have nothing to do with each other. But but it's possible they all might smell somewhat different than expected. Right. I suppose right. there's that an was my point. There. Yeah. And given the other bad super science we've seen on this show, <laughs> this wasn't that. Bad. I'm more than willing to hand wave that one. Definitely. <laughs> um, but it is a, a rather clever plan for the murder bigots to uh, uh, pull, you know, canine assistance, which basically dogs have super smell compared to humans. So there's that uh, uh, heighten your powers gambit. I think the use of the dogs in this episode was very clever. Unfortunately, it was the only aspect of this plan that seemed (laughs) particularly clever to me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) So yeah, Lena is disappointed that she hasn't cured cancer yet, even with the help of the R&L. My goodness, Lena. (laughs) Well, it was interesting to find out what she was trying to do with it. And it is interesting that... This is now going to be the ongoing story we'll see with Aharonel is, can it be used to make humans superpowered humans? Which you can definitely see as an interesting plot line for this show. Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting plot line, and it seems like a more rational way to go than, hey, here's this weird energy substance, let's use it to cure cancer. That just seemed like an odd research direction, you know, as opposed to uh, 
renewable energy or, you know, alternative energy anyway, and not renewable, um, <laughs> you know, or creating superpowers or whatever. Just curing cancer seemed odd. It was a good excuse to have her experimenting with tissue samples. And of course, we did find out the extremely important uh, information that Har since during the course of their experiments, the Harun L uh, irradiated or soaked or whatever tissue turned out to become immune to fire, even though it didn't kill the tumors. And who knows what else it's immune to. Right. And we have no idea, even if this will produce asset of powers or whether this will be like Marvel Universe thing where you do this thing and everyone develops who knows random powers, but something's going to happen. Right. I mean, there is, it seems to be all kinds of ways to get superpowers to humans. You know, you have in Black Lightning, it was government experiments. Um, in uh, the Arrowverse, uh, or at least that planet, um, uh, it was the Flash event or whatever, whatever they call the original catalyzing uh, thing. And, and here we're looking at Haran L. So um, <laughs> take heart, puny humans. <laughs> there may be a way for you to get your own powers. It is interesting in that the majority of powered people in this show tend to be aliens and that that is the path this show does. What I find very strange is almost all of these shows only have one path for creating superpowers. Right. And they don't have all the other ones. And it means you get these sort of simplistic storylines of the others, the mutants, the metahumans, all of these different convenient terms that can be used to describe all of the superpowered people. And it'd be mm -hmm. interesting to see a more metropolitan take where who knows why you have powers? Should I be scared of you? Are you an alien? Are you a human? Have you been affected by alien DNA and therefore you're strange in that way? And it's, <laughs> it's all this allegory for people not being nice to each other. But it's mm -hmm. interesting how every show sort of does take their little take on how almost all powers come. Right. So I guess we should move on with the plot for the moment. Uh, so Supergirl and Alex... Uh, are of course um, want to take action about the the beatdown that the nice couple almost got from the Children of Liberty, um, and Colonel Hayes says that this is a human hate group and the FBI should handle it, which seems to be dodging the question as hard as possible since you know it's it's not exactly a human on human hate group, but Alex says that. Uh, Leaflets like this, um, some of the leaflets that were dropped after the attack, were used to activate groups like the White Rose in Germany, and CIA did the same in Guatemala. And I want to object very, very vigorously to this metaphor. <laughs> because the White Rose in Germany, was a non-violent uh, student resistance group against Hitler and Nazism. And their leaflets were trying to convince people to resist evil. They were not secret signals for some kind of uh, resistance Kristallnacht. And so that made me a bit upset. There are plenty of examples that they could have used of leaflets being used for signals, like, you know, the British did in World War II. <laughs> uh, it, it just bothered me to see a good cause misused that way for historical inaccuracy. I mean, I assumed the leaflets are not a call to action per se. They're a PR campaign. The implication that this is somehow the push to get people to act on a certain event doesn't really make any sense in today's universe because you would just use the internet. Yeah, yeah, you would do text alerts. <laughs> the thing I had find interesting about the initial takedowns and the Haley on Kara and Alex is I don't quite understand the DEO. I actually think it's reasonable that the FBI would have been involved in that case, and I would have hoped mm -hmm. that the people would have been arrested and taken in by maybe the FBI and questioned. And right. for some reason, that's entirely glossed over, except apparently Manchester Black kidnaps one of them. <laughs> and how that happens is just so glossed over that 
I really don't understand what the DEO and how they're interacting with other law enforcement agencies work. Yes. And I I did have every sympathy with the sentence from Colonel Hayes saying, if you want to intervene in muggings, Supergirl, join the National City Police Department. You know, that's that's a thing that's been, you know, bothering me from early on in the show when Supergirl would get bored or, or whatever, especially in season three when she was trying to distract herself from losing Monel, you know, she was just flying around intervening in everything and, and frustrating the police by doing that. <laughs> so, you know, that has a point. Uh, but coordination doesn't mean throwing it to the FBI and stepping aside. And I think there's a, a Good Samaritan issue here. Is, and it's a complicated one, because if you have superpowers and it's trivial for you to act in a way that could prevent people from getting hurt, I could see the argument that you should do it. Like, was she patrolling in that area? Or was she just there and therefore acted as a reasonable person? So right. it's a bit strange in many regards. My real question, though, is, does Supergirl actually take orders from the DEO? And is she staff? Is she paid? I mean, that might explain <laughs> how she affords her house and doesn't have to do her day job. But I don't quite understand the uh, power hierarchy for exactly where Supergirl fits into the DEO. I don't know if Colonel Hayes has really thought about it either. But, you know, my my thought is that Supergirl is going along with the DEO and has been because she wants to be liked and accepted by those in authority. And if she were just vigilante, that would cause a lot of friction with the government. But... You know, I, I've there's certainly never been any scene where she took an oath to the president or to the Constitution or to the DEO, for that matter, saying, I will obey orders. It's just what she's done so far. The writers might be suggesting she has done that, but I don't know. And maybe it'll come to a head and we'll find out what the backstory is there. But it's just a question in the back of my head in all of these conversations she has with the colonel. Right. I mean... She did have that meeting with uh, President Boxleitner and, you know, saying that she would support him. But I don't think she said, I'll obey your orders, sir, you know. So I, I think it would be interesting if all the friction with Hayes does eventually cause some kind of break. Um, especially if, if Hayes fired Alex or something like that. Or, yeah, make, make one or both of them go rogue. It would be an interesting way to take the show, and I could certainly see them playing with it briefly. Yes. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. Um, uh, but I do want to point out that uh, Hayes told Alex and Supergirl, you know, this is the last time you're going to go against orders without facing consequences. But she has made that statement to them before. It, it does start to look toothless as they get away with it. And the answer basically is, at some point, she won't think they'll get away with it. Right. Also, I think Hayes is doing this deliberately to keep them off balance. But her, you know, double-sided si double whiplash management of you two both, you know, nearly got in trouble and you better watch it. And then saying... By the way, I brought some sweet potato pie. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's not good management. <laughs> it definitely is strong something. <laughs> I can't tell, though, if it is a ploy or if it is just her personality. At the moment, I'm just interpreting it as that's her personality. And she's not a bad person, and she's a nice, pleasant person, and she's doing her job. So at the moment, I'm running with that. Okay, so you're thinking that she's stern, but she's also, you know, got her human moments. Exactly. Whereas I'm wondering if it's, you know, some kind of psych warfare thing. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> yes, no doubt. Um, anyway, the psych warfare seems to be working on Brainiac, who really enjoys that pumpkin pie. Or sorry, excuse me, sweet potato pie. <laughs> I briefly made that mistake earlier when what we're down my notes. Maybe that's <laughs> why Brainy acts so incompetent at this point in time in this show. <laughs> Again, Brainy is in the position of being used for comedy relief. Yes, uh, I did enjoy the one scene where he got to act 
super competent, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I still think at least he's no longer acting lost. Like they're at least past that. But now we're back right. to the previous level of brainy comedy relief. And we'll see if maybe that levels out a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't so much mind the scenes of him not getting the wink wink nudge nudge stop investigating thing. Um <laughs> and then loudly declaiming, I understand I'm supposed to keep this secret. <laughs> I don't mind that so much as some of the, you know, really clueless about, you know, figuring out how to adapt Earth technology type of stuff. It's getting a little more forgivable, and we'll see, hopefully, if it still improves. Right. You will become more used to the time over time. Right. So, one of the important questions that got answered this episode is that Ben Lockwood has not abandoned his family. We were wondering when the family, you know, dropped out for a couple of episodes. Uh, but no, he's got a nice newish house uh, that they are just barely keeping up with the mortgage payments on. I assume that the Ben's wife, who, as far as I know, is still unnamed, uh, has some kind of job that they've been paying the bills with, but just barely scraping by. Um, and uh, we know that the son is still in the picture because he yells to his dad to come, look, you're on TV, you're famous. It was very nice to see the family again. They still feel a little bit like set dressing, but it was still nice to see them again. And I do wonder, she acts as if she's being supportive of him during this, but it's unclear what she thinks she's supporting. Right. <laughs> Does she know is the question, and I would assume not at the moment. I assume that she thinks he's still just handing out leaflets at the park and uh, participating in a... In a uh, human rights blog or or website or whatever platform you want to call it perhaps yeah but i mean she could know but i don't get a vibe of you know contained violence from her or anything like that but it does also leave me with a question that relates to the later on plot which is ben lockwood clearly does not have lots of money still so who's bankrolling the children of liberty and i think the answer is nobody is but then I have follow-on questions. Oh, uh, well, I have a theory about that now, uh, which comes from the um, casting news that I discussed at the end of our last ah, podcast. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, that's an interesting theory. <laughs> right. So anyway, uh, moving on from that, Lena shows up at James's office with a suit bag and he says, oh, thanks, like it's just a present that she got for him. And then she says, you're going to be on TV in a few hours. <laughs> so first of all, she's dissing his wardrobe, uh, his, you know, what he would normally wear. And secondly, which is the real problem, she's scheduling his time doing interviews without discussing it with him first. I think there's a lesson here about dating your CEO. <laughs> there's probably more lessons than that actually <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> several lessons but yeah she makes that explicit um you know she says you're you're doing stuff that gets journalists killed james says not this journalist lena says so you, you don't care what i think you're going to do what you what you uh want james says you know not on, you know, uh, you know, we don't, I'm not discussing this uh, because it's my job. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not adding you to this decision because this is my job as a journalist. And Lena says, well, your boss is telling you to do this interview, figure it out. So yeah, she really flexes and makes explicit her boss hand in this relationship. And uh, I think that is part of what's going on with Athens later in the episode. Well, this is the setup. Yeah. We need their relationship under stress, and therefore we need to start adding stress to it, and they're just injecting some drama here. And it is believable. Mm -hmm. For these characters involved, both Lena and James, I believe that they might do this. So I think they show succeeds at this. 
Right. I think it's entirely credible for Lena to think that it's important for James to get out there and talk about, uh, you know, the alien fear uh, and, you know, how how that is not entirely justified. And, uh, you know, it's, it's entirely reasonable for her to want to do that, although I don't know why they would be doing it on a non-CatCo TV station. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, beyond that... It doesn't feel like a faked up argument like you might see in some other other shows. It, it, it does feel like it's coming from fair perspectives from each of them. I also don't really believe that Lena wouldn't know who the other guest was going to be on the show. So I might question that the fact that Ben Lockwood was on the show was, would not have been a surprise to her, I don't think. So that could have fed into this conversation, but they really wanted it to be a surprise to us, so it couldn't be. <laughs> right. I did like an aspect of the scene where James describes talking to, in fact, Agent Liberty to try and talk to someone in the Children of Liberty with the hope of meeting Agent Liberty. That I thought was a bit funny. Right. <laughs> right. So then the argument, Lena leaves, but... Uh... James is still trying to figure things out. Um, Kara tells James that she has 800 words on the assault last night, and James is all distracted, and he confesses that he's upset that Lena booked him without asking it. Kara jumps in and offers to do the interview herself, um, which, okay, fine, but, you know, that's really bad journalism, and she is a bad journalist. Uh, for <laughs> Nothing <new laughs> pretending <here. laughs> to be objective on an issue like this. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, um, James says, Do you, yeah, you know, this would take a lot of preparation. And Kara uh, says, she'll ask Nia to help. James points out that Nia is asleep at her desk once again. <laughs> and so the lies begin all through the rest of the episode. Yeah, this is the do I have a doctor, don't I have a doctor lies which basically just tells us something else is up with Nia, as we discussed in the previous podcast. My hope, though, is there's a payoff here, and we are going to learn something about chocolate-coated espresso beans in a later episode. <laughs> I hope so. It would be sad if that was just a, uh, just a pointless lie. <laughs> I would not think so. I think that line has to come back. <laughs> Let's see. Then we go over to DEO again. Alex asks Brainy for a progress report on the secret investigation, and he says there hasn't been any. Uh, Hayes asks for a progress report on the um, busy work that she's given, and he says he hasn't been working on it. Her pie distracted him, <laughs> which I enjoyed. I like that. I did not like all the jokes before that about his attempting to find arbitrary codes in the message. That just seemed weak. But I did kind of like the attempt to cover it. Well, the one thing that I do like about that, I can really understand how Brainy would get lost in the details looking for some kind of uh, secret pattern. Um, when, in fact, as we find out at the end of the episode, the secret code is just the title of this manifesto. Twilight's Last Gleaming, right, is the title of this manifesto, and it turns out that that's just the code for when the Children of Liberty are supposed to enact their Kristallnacht on all the uh, houses with the infrared letter A painted on them. Okay, we might just want to cover this plot. This plan of theirs is ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. So their plan is... Presumably for months, weeks, who knows how long, they've been sending around people with dogs. Then the people have to go up to the houses and spray paint them, unless someone's <laughs> beside you, in which case they just report the address to a central database. Right. Then they have to distribute high-tech infrared goggle masks to everyone <laughs> doing this with matching hoodie. Mm-hmm. Not cheap. Not that we have any idea how many of these were sent out. Probably more than two groups, but we can't tell. Maybe not. And then they're supposed to find out, after all that organizing, they're supposed to find out when to do it based on the title of the leaflets. <laughs> I don't follow this at all. And after that, they're supposed to only figure out which addresses to attack based on the letters that are on them? 
I can understand. There's there's a lot of metaphors here. There's a lot of things they're trying to do here <laughs> by marking doors. Yes, and it just doesn't make any sense in the context because this is other references to marking where Jews were living in Germany and this type of thing, where it's just trying to represent horrible behaviors that have happened in our past. But it's just a plot in today's world made no sense. Right. It was a very heavy-handed metaphor made even more so by the uh, costumes that they were wearing, which um, included gray jackets with yellow stars on them or gold stars on them, which I don't know why Ben Lockwood would have designed the costumes that way unless he was just being ironic <laughs> maybe he got them a discount we don't know who's bankrolling maybe there wasn't enough money <laughs> yeah it's just you know i i just don't don't get what you know if ben is the one that designed those uh murder bigot costumes i just don't know what he was trying to do, to do there with the yellow stars this show is many things, but subtle it is not. <laughs> That's right. That almost sums up all of my issues with that plot. It, it did not make sense that there isn't an obvious communication path for doing all of this. All you have to do is record the houses in a database and then tell people where to go. The whole reasons for the marking is for things that have nothing to do with the show. There is no Watsonian reason for any of it. It is all Doyleist land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. But that's okay. I, I mean, I also have the question of how are they going to talk all these people doing it Thanksgiving evening? But that's another question. <laughs> You're right. Okay, so the argument in the, stu in the studio, Ben Lockwood is talking about human exceptionalism, asking why, if the children of liberty are such a problem, why hasn't Guardian denounced them? Instead, he's meeting with them. Kara makes her Thanksgiving speech and says that Americans are better than this hatred, and she talks about Thanksgiving Day being for welcoming different communities and celebrating life together. Uh, the anchor tries to wrap up the discussion, but then Ben Lockwood points out that in the years following the first Thanksgiving dinner, the Puritans slaughtered the Wampanoag. And, uh, you know, so that's <laughs> to him a very clear lesson from Thanksgiving that um, you shouldn't welcome newcomers because they'll kill you. <laughs> There's a bunch of things that I'd like to understand in this world, and they're not going to tell me because it'll define the world too much. Mm -hmm. How many aliens are there? Are there 0.0001% of the population? Are there tens of millions? I don't understand quite the scope of the fear. And of course, with fear, the reality doesn't matter. But to imply anything about these analogies that he's using, it would be nice if anything showed actually matching. And the only thing that I see is, occasionally, yes, aliens come and try and invade, and it's a good thing you have American aliens around here to defend them. <laughs> well, we know that there are enough aliens living on planet for people to get upset about losing their jobs, but we don't have any real information, statistical information, on, you know, whether that's happening to a lot of people or just people in the, you know, former steel industry or what. You know, I don't think there are huge numbers of people with super strength who are taking jobs away from uh, bulldozer operators or whatever. But uh, no, they haven't told us, uh, you know, I've had the impression probably thousands maybe millions it would be hard to see how millions would have been fitting in unnoticed all this time but certainly thousands i would think it just seems ridiculous to try and connect colonial europe's taking over of north america with some refugees right i guess it's a could be a point of the wedge thing um you know there were only a few puritans at first but uh Europeans kept coming and coming and coming. It would be an interesting show. If this show actually was willing to change the world to make it not look like our world and have a few hundred million aliens show up, I mean, then mm. you get alienation. But it would be a different show and it'd be interesting to see it. And then you might be able to have this conversation. But 
for the world <laughs> we're seeing, this conversation is crazy because Ben Lockwood is crazy. Right. He's he's overreacting spectacularly due to, you know, his bad circumstances at the beginning. But yes, as as compared as concerns the world as a whole, yes, this bigotry and fear is wildly overdone. The other thing which relates a bit to the Thanksgiving dinner we're going to get close to is it's also very different to have a thousand superpowered people or thousands of superpowered people of which some of which are bad to suddenly allowing humans to have superpowers and having billions of superpowered people and that would look probably very different. Yes. Yes indeed. But it wouldn't be billions of people because uh uh, although Lena talks at first about, at Thanksgiving dinner, about how, you know, humans who are underpowered would suddenly be, you know, have the power. What if we could lay, level the playing field? What if super evil people got superpowers? Lena says they wouldn't. And James says, so not everybody would get those superpowers. And Alex says, so who would decide who would get to play God? And then Jean Jones brings in the turkey and says, let's eat. (laughs) (laughs) And quickly ends that conversation. Yes. (laughs) I think realistically the answer from Lena is those who can afford it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which might also be a bad thing. I quite liked this bit of the conversation. I think there was a question of Mm -hmm. the scale of the problem if you allow humans to have powers. But even Mm -hmm. without that, I quite like how this show represented that. And I mean... Maybe Lena could have made additional arguments, but we didn't see them. But it was nicely done. Right. Um, I would like to give a shout out to Alex, who, you know, busy working woman. Her contribution to the feast is a cylinder of cranberry sauce with the ring still visible in it. (laughs) She got a lot of punishment for that. Uh, she did, uh, but some people actually like the canned, you know, cranberry sauce. Uh, in fact, at the at the Thanksgiving dinner I was invited to yesterday, um, they served two kinds of cranberry sauce, and one was a cylinder with rings still on it, and the other <laughs> was some kind of compote that someone else had made. And everyone ate the kind that they preferred, and it was all fine. <laughs> cranberry sauce for all people (laughs) they can all have their own i did quite like that we do get another scene with bernie and nia talking to each other i almost did consider adding to my recap that bernie is not stalking nia right which is both creepy and funny yes (laughs) um for them it's it's yes I did enjoy the bit of dialogue where, uh, you know, she says, hey, it's my stalker. Are those flowers for me? Brainy says, no, it's for the host. I was taught never to show up empty handed. Nia says, sounds like your mother raised you right. And Brainy says, no, she definitely did not. My question here uh, is, you know, I don't, I don't, haven't studied the comic books. So is, did Brainiac have a mother or perhaps a female lab scientist who raised him? Or is he just completely dissembling and he didn't have a mother at all? And that's why he didn't have a mother who raised him right. I didn't interpret that way. I would interpret it as he had a mother figure or a genetic mother for his biological components or something. Mm-hmm. And they were probably very evil. That was my interpretation. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no idea how Brainiac gets to Brainiac 5. I have not followed that either. I don't think we'll find out more about it. Well, I would, I would really like for the show to tell us at some point. It would be nice. That was uh, surprisingly dark for a moment there. Yes, yes, and I enjoyed that. <laughs> that bit of darkness among uh, amongst the other stuff. <laughs> amongst the comedy, yes. This Thanksgiving dinner also had a wonderful scene because it kind of, I'll only say kind of, explains why John is not a telepath all of the time. Yes, something that we've been complaining about, you know, why doesn't John just, you know... Why didn't Jean at that meeting of the um of the hate group early in the season? Why didn't he just find out uh, who the leader was and everything? And now they answered it to a degree, and it doesn't really explain <laughs> all the previous seasons. 
but it was very nice for them to put it in there. And a very fair comment that him forcing himself into someone else's brain is an assault, is an attack, is violence. And I think that's very true. And I think that there's a nice thing for the show to say there, and it also helps explain away the writers seeming to forget that he's a telepath. Yes. It was amazing having that line in there, because it did help a lot, even though Manchester, who also got invited to the Thanksgiving dinner, was just trying to see whether or not he could talk John into reading the mind of the guy he has tied up in his bathroom who he's been torturing. Right, right. That was obviously what Manchester was trying to do uh, without actually revealing the purpose of this hypothetical discussion. (laughs) I'm going to say that the writers were just writing for my sake there. (laughs) So anyway, during the course of their discussion, uh, uh, Oh, Brainy had brought one of the Liberty masks to dinner just in case he got bored and wanted to work instead, he says, which I thought was also another hilarious moment. Um, you know, it's using Brainy's social ineptness in in a believable way um, because he doesn't hasn't learned the importance of manners. And also, you know, it helps to move the plot forward. So I liked how they did that. But anyway, it turns out that the lens is an uh, infrared detector, the lens in the mask. And then they somehow, you know, they got to the point where they realized there was going to be an attack. And everybody split the dinner. Okay, there's two things that are strange here, though. So one is Nia Nell gives the information that they've taught dogs how to recognize aliens. Mm -hmm. And that kind of comes out of nowhere. But whatever. That instigates the entire conversation. And while I did like Brainy bringing it along, Lena identified what it was from 20 feet away in about two seconds, and Brainy had been looking at this thing. Hmm. There was a bunch of kind of kludgy things to transition the plot to them looking out the window and seeing that there are A's marked on the walls of some buildings. Yeah. But it did get things going. <laughs> While the next stuff is going on, uh, Ben Lockwood is just having a nice Thanksgiving dinner at home with his family, not participating in any of the um, the stuff that's going on. So uh, that's very hypocritical and one more reason why, why I think the wife is oblivious. But also good cover. And then we get the lovely fight scene with Brainiac, uh, who a bunch of um, the gold star murder bigots are you know <laughs> converging on us on a um a, a scarlet letter a home and uh brainiac says return to your homes or i'll be required to beat you up with physics <laughs> and then he does and it's interesting because this is also sort of the fighting technique we briefly saw manchester use the mm-hmm rapid dodging and just having your opponents all clobber each other, which is maybe statistically unlikely, but very pretty to watch. My daughter was watching the scene and she adored it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it was very nicely done and, you know, helped us all remember why why Brainy was part of the Legion of Superheroes um, in addition to his uh, Legion super skill, super smart computer use. He is not just a pretty face. That's right. <laughs> At the same time, James went to Tom, the agent of Liberty uh, that he had been hanging out before with on the dog walk, and tells him not to get involved in this, and they fight. And uh, then there was the the lovely sequence where when the agents invade a home, and start beating up the parents. The little girl is hiding, and she, uh, through the power of alien wishing or something, she turns her pet lizard, uh, I guess it's an iguana, into a dragon, a flying, fire-breathing dragon. So I'm not sure if this is alien powers or magic or what. Um, (laughs) I didn't interpret it that way, actually. So my interpretation, and I should note, the scene of these people and these home invasions is horrifying. It is. What these people are doing. 
But my interpretation is that literally is a transforming dragon, and she just asked it nicely. So I don't think this was her powers. I think this was the dragon's power. Oh, that was just okay. my interpretation. So the um, the iguana dragon is the alien, and this was just a normal family that had an alien pet? I would think they are aliens as well. I just think okay. they are aliens with an alien pet. That was, that was at least how I took it. A creature from the home world Perhaps. that they brought with them. Okay, I can buy that a little easier. It could go either way. <laughs> anyway... The, the dragon uh, naturally um, is upset and trying to protect, but then it gets kind of out of hand and uh, people are running and screaming on the streets. Um, Supergirl uh, saves Alex from the dragon and then Alex uh, talks to the little girl and finds out that, you know, this is not a mean dragon, this is just Spike, a good boy who is trying to <laughs> protect the family. She relays that to Supergirl, and Supergirl, as you said, talks the dragon down and then gives it a nice pet on the nose. <laughs> the dragon couldn't have been too upset. It still knew it had to fly right in front of the moon. <laughs> right. And then uh, Supergirl says... Dogs may not like me anymore, but I've still got it with dragons, which it was just adorable. <laughs> I quite like the talking down the dragon. Giving yes. Supergirl something to do other than punch things to solve the problem, I'm all for, and that was a nice scene. I'm always in favor of that. However, we do also see the other Children of Liberty who mm -hmm. went after, unfortunately, a house which I assume Manchester Black previously walked into. Uh-huh. And it does not go so well for them. No. Nope. <laughs> But my real question is, were there only two mobs? Were there hundreds of mobs? So did they win by stopping one of them from their perspective? There's a whole other aspect of this where they seem happy at the end of it. And, well, I guess there weren't 100 or 200 rampaging mobs causing home invasions everywhere. But it, there's a scaling issue for explaining what this event was supposed to look like. That was very much lost. Because if you're only attacking two homes... You really don't need this complicated strategy. Yeah, I could see I could see them saying that the two homes were just a sample of the violence going on all over the city, but in that case, the DEO should have been out longer battling harder and there should have been police and FBI and you know, the city should have been basically under martial law after that. Um Instead of just a couple of gangs. But if it yeah. is just a couple of gangs, this, yeah, scaling problem, this is not a plot. This is a few loonies. It is a bunch of loonies, to be fair. Well, yes. <laughs> I don't think either were the case, but it's just we didn't know or they didn't write it. It's hard to tell, but whatever, they won. Yeah, I mean, scaling problems is not a new problem for Supergirl, as we've discussed before with the... Daxamite alien invasion and uh, of of Earth by just invading National City and that kind of thing. But oh well, we'll just have to shrug our shoulders and go on. One other thing occurred to me watching this show about American Thanksgiving is: Are there aliens in all the other countries, and what's happening there? And it's not a question that often gets asked for shows that take place in the states, even if they're filmed in other countries. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting one to see sort of what is happening in other places. We know Russia, in theory, has a Supergirl, too. But it would be an interesting question as to what this looks like everywhere else, too. Yes. I mean, I guess if an alien was coming to the planet and deciding where to settle, they might, you know, they might see the Statue of Liberty and hear the Emma Lazarus poem and, you know think, oh, this is a welcoming country to land in, as opposed to some of the other countries. It's possible. But I, I can't believe that they would all settle on, on the USA and not spread out a little more. And we don't even know how many different alien races there are also. Right. Are there thousands of aliens of thousands of species? It's a, a world-building problem that the show doesn't really need to answer. Oh, anyway, after everybody regroups at the DEO, Hayes gives her line about disobey orders again and there will be consequences. 
And then Alex gives her response, I follow my instincts, and that's what makes me a great leader. And if you have to court-martial me, so be it. I endorse standing up for your choices. I do not necessarily agree that following your instinct makes you a great leader. <laughs> <laughs> it might make you good at your job. I, I expected her to say something like that. A great leader seemed a bit disconnected. <laughs> yeah, because you have to, especially in a job like that, you need to also pay attention to the evidence and be willing to change to to not go from your gut if the evidence is against your gut or at least keep looking and seeing if there's more evidence out there going from your gut is a way that a lot of people have gotten hurt at various times it does make you a strong leader if you go from your gut and insist on following it it does not necessarily make you great and this does set up uh, some future question, because now all Alex has to do is have a misstep, and we might see consequences. And that'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there will be some, and we don't know how that will play out. Right. Okay, so uh, uh, Ben Lockwood is unhappily watching the, t the TV praise the girl of steel for saving the city again. And his wife says, honey, you have a call. And it turns out that he gets offered his own TV show. So now he's, now he's got, you know, more than just a web platform. He's on TV. So I guess their money troubles are over. <laughs> that might be good. And uh, I think this show is continuing its commentary on who gets on uh, TV. Yes, yes. Clearly, he got on TV. Well, he is articulate. You have to give him that. I do. But uh, also the, the extremism of his, his uh, sayings is clearly something that the network thought would get some ratings. I think there's a good question that we see then in Alex and Kara and John's conversation regarding how do they win this? And this yes. is a great conversation because mm -hmm. they are now talking about how do they win a fight that definitively is not just them going around and punching a bad guy. Right. And it's an amazingly good question because it really isn't quite clear how they can win this. This is a PR campaign and they no longer have Cat Grant. Right. So it'll be very interesting to see how this season presents. I've been quite a bit happier with this season than last season for... Mm -hmm. this type of fight that they need to do. Yeah, even though the show is often heavy-handed in the way it presents uh, situations and arguments, it's, it is asking some very interesting questions. We may not always love the way that they get asked and answered, but, uh, you know, at least they, they are moving beyond punching and good alien, bad alien. Now it's, you know, uh, people who are confused and upset and some of them do really bad things. Um, but how do you, how do you convince people to be more open and understanding? It's hard. It's a hard problem. I wish this show the best of luck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I hope that they don't wrap it up in some simplistic way at the end of the season that would be pretty horrifying but i am moderately trusting that they're not just going to have people uh have been under some kind of hate influence all this time that they will just you know wake up from like a snap of the fingers i i, I think they are really treating this seriously and and uh i appreciate that I don't know, however, if James is going to accept when Lena tells him, I told you so. Right. So James gets kidnapped at the end of the show. Uh, black bag over his head, black van. You know, they, they lured him there by saying, you're going to meet some more people in the Children of Liberty. But I think it's pretty clear they're not just putting a bag over his head so that uh, he won't know the location where he's going. <laughs> It seems a little darker than that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's just going to have a conversation with somebody. He might, but it doesn't seem likely. Yeah, uh, well, I guess we'll see. But, you know, I'm sure they're not just going to kill him off. I, I... 
No. There might be some kind of rescue scenario uh, necessary, but um, uh, anyway. So, uh, you know, despite some of the logical problems, I'm still really happy with where the show seems to be going this season. I'm, I'm happy that they addressed some of the issues that I've been uh, annoyed over. Um, <laughs> and I'm pleased with the, what they're doing this season. I am as well. Uh, I'm very happy with the presentation of the big bad being hate and fear mm -hmm. and i think that is uh, an awesome thing for the show to do and i think it's the right track even if they're sometimes their plots are a little absurd the show is uh, really been quite good right and we're gonna get to see what lena does with human trials indeed and how sh how will she pick these people by the way <laughs> well she's <laughs> going to be god i guess so <laughs> you should offer Kara. That'd be funny. <laughs> the one other thing I wanted to mention before I finish up, which is we've been now seeing Lena participating in social events with a bunch of people that she owes works for the DEO. And no one ever mentions where Supergirl is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she better know. <laughs> Security tapes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got you. You know, un unless Supergirl, after that was over, just you know, X-rayed, visioned every camera in L Corp. <laughs> but we'll we'll see, we'll see. I'm sure. I'm, surely they're going to answer that question sometime this season. I hope. I hazard to hope. <laughs> but I'll keep watching because I need to find out. <laughs> Anyway, this has been a really fun discussion, David. Thank you. And uh, if our listeners want to uh, continue the discussion with us, please uh, talk to us on Twitter at SG Supercast or join the Slack Incomparable Members uh, discussion, and you'll find us on the TV channel. And uh, I'd like to thank our audio editor, um, for this episode. I'd like to thank The Incomparable for hosting us, and I'd like to thank you, the listeners. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>